0: Now, if Jesus is someone to reckon with, then because of the resurrection, we have to look very carefully at what he said. The fact of the matter is, he claimed to be God. And so if you have a man claiming to be God, rising from the dead, that's going to shake your worldview.
1: This week on First Person, we've invited a recent guest, Nabil Qureshi, back. This time to discuss the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hello and welcome to our program, our Easter time edition. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Several weeks ago, you met Nabil Qureshi here on First Person, a young man raised in America as a devout Muslim. He told us his story of seeking Allah but finding Jesus. Well, a big part of that spiritual transformation in his life was coming to grips with the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection. Nabil will join us in just a moment to tell us what he learned that changed his life. Thanks for tuning in for this conversation today. All of our interviews are archived online, so if you want to go back to the earlier interview as Nabil tells his full story, you'll find it at FirstPersonInterview.com. Just click on the Listen button and scroll back to the interview in February. What you're about to hear was recorded with Nabil a couple of years ago, and since then he has been pursuing a doctorate in New Testament studies at Oxford, and he's now spoken at over 100 universities. As we began this conversation in 2014, he talked about his campus speaking opportunities at that time.
0: My preference has always been to discuss uh, Christ at the universities because it was at the university when I was an undergrad that I started challenging the faith that I always held dear. And I realized just how important it was to have a firm grounding in uh, the meaning of life, why I am here, what I'm doing, what gives the things I do value. Um, these questions we all have, but many of us just never answer them and at the university level we 're more open to we don 't have families that we 're having to pay for or mortgages that we 're trying to take care of um we have our we have just us and what we 're learning and the direction in life and so was able to speak over the past few weeks at um uh west texas a and m in Amarillo texas a and m in college station was able to speak at uh b y u in um in Salt Lake City, I was able to speak at NYU and and Columbia and St. John's, um, also at UPenn. So a lot of these universities where students are asking good questions, and people, um, after the talks, Accepting Christ, coming up and and saying that this is the message uh, that we needed to hear and, and giving their lives to the Lord, so... Just amazing to be part of this team, RZIM, and amazing to see the work the Lord is doing.
1: Working alongside with Ravi Zacharias, RZIM Ministries. Now, were you at BYU with Ravi?
0: We were. Um, We got to speak to the faculty at BYU, and then Ravi gave a talk to the student body, um, and then later that day we were going to the Mormon Tabernacle where he spoke to...
1: (laughs) Believe me, I watched online. It was exciting to, uh, to watch that evening presentation. So you were right there, though, huh?
0: I, yes, we were, and uh, we got to interact with them. Such wonderful people, and it was brilliant to be able to uh, share the, the power of the gospel and um, to talk about the historical Jesus as well as the power of Scripture. It was, it was a privilege.
1: Well, take me back to the university for a moment. Most of us have the idea that universities are closed to any sort of uh, talk about the gospel and about the historical Jesus, but you find open hearts there?
0: Um, We do, because people are asking the questions that matter. Uh, People have tried atheism, tried agnosticism, and found it wanting. And yes, they've heard a lot of things about Christianity and the gospel, and they don't believe it, but they're looking because they haven't found the answer yet. Um, And when we can share Christ in a way that not only informs the mind, but compels the heart, then that gets people walking towards the direction of the Gospel. So, for example, when we were at UPenn, this was February 11th, it was a very um, trying event because newspaper articles had been written against Ravi. There were people outside the event picketing Ravi's uh, speech, um, and very, very hostile in general. Uh, but the people who were there um, on the ground were praying for us as far as the the Christians would help organize the event and then we had mobilized our prayer circles, and people all around the world were praying and so we had this uh, this meeting of people who are hostile, yet also willing to speak with us. And if you watch that Q&A, people could watch it online. Um, people have said that this Q&A was one of the most powerful sections they've ever seen um, with uh, with uh, skeptics asking the tough questions and with the Lord really answering through uh, Ravi's responses and mine as well. I was I was there too, so Uh, Even though people came hostile, they left hearing the gospel.
1: That's exciting. We all appreciate and respect the ministry of of Ravi Zacharias, but I have to ask you, do you think because of your background coming from Islam and your youth that maybe uh, you are able to speak into some people's hearts and minds that uh, maybe even Ravi can't touch?
0: I think the Lord has equipped us all specifically. Every single person listening to this right now— me as well as you he's equipped us to reach specific people in specific ways and so i i do have the privilege of connecting with certain students especially since i'm i'm still in the school i'm planning on going to oxford this fall uh Ravi has been speaking to students for over 40 years and uh he understands the ins and outs of the questions and sometimes his insight is absolutely amazing so i have the privilege of, of being able to be near that and absorb that um, but, uh, but yes, we're all equipped to do a specific work.
1: Ravi's own testimony is in the archive for our program at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. And I would direct listeners there for the story of this uh, servant of Christ who really uh, not only serves so well, but mentors so well. And I'm thinking of young men like you who come alongside and are mentored by Ravi personally. So that's very exciting to me. I don't want to assume that everybody listening now was listening a month ago when you were on this program and gave your testimony. Give me just the uh, the sweep of your story in, in sort of a recap form, Nabil, if you would, so we'll bring everybody up to date.
0: Yeah, broadly speaking, I was raised as a Muslim in the United States, a very devout family, um, and I was taught to pray the five daily prayers, read the Quran regularly, had memorized seven chapters of the Quran by the age of five. And so, devout practice of Islam. And part of that devout practice was to challenge Christians in their faith, because there are points of incompatibility between Islam and Christianity. And so in order to defend the Islamic position, I would challenge Christians on the reliability of the Bible, on Jesus' claim to be God, uh, on his death and resurrection. These were points that Muslims disagree with. And uh, even though the vast majority of Christians I spoke to throughout middle school and high school and in college, even though they were pretty much bowled over whenever I asked the simplest of questions, there was one young man who had been an atheist. He had come to know Christ by asking tough questions. And so he was ready with the response for why he believed. And he shared the gospel with me as well as reasons for why we can know it's true or why we can be confident in its truth. And over a four-year-long friendship where we discussed these things together, I began to see the evidence for Christianity was very strong, and the evidence for Islam was lacking in comparison. And so I asked God to direct me at that point. Um, I couldn't immediately just accept Christianity because evidence was stronger, because that would mean giving up my family. It would mean giving up my friends and everything that I had growing up as a young Muslim. So I asked God for guidance, uh, and for Muslims, they often request dreams from God uh, in order to have direct revelation from Him. And so I asked God for visions and dreams, and the Lord gave me a vision and three dreams, which, combined with the evidence for Christianity, pointed me to Christ.
1: And again, the the story is told in your book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, and uh, you were with us just last month in the program, and that program is also in the archive at FirstPersonInterview.com. Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus is just, it's an incredible book, uh, your story, because of its its case for Christianity. And I noticed that Lee Strobel wrote the forward to your book. Lee's another friend who, who really understands these things and, uh, like you, came from a skeptical point of view and came to Christ.
0: Yes, and Lee was a uh, a very helpful uh, component of my journey. It was right after I became a believer that I read his case for Christ. And I basically have a similar uh, uh, path insofar as asking questions and the evidence really reorienting me towards Christ.
1: You mentioned that friend who, over the course of years and months, just dialogued with you about Christianity, your best friend, you describe him. And one day you write in your book that he he put it this way, He said, Let's just say Christianity were true. Just for a moment, imagine with me that Jesus really is God and that he really did die on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the dead. He loves you and he wants to live your life. uh, He wants you to live your life following and proclaiming him. Do you recall how you responded to that?
0: (laughs) Um, Yes, I do. I remember that conversation very vividly because it was a life changing moment for me. Uh, My immediate reaction internally was, Of course, I would want to know the truth. But then uh, I recognized that it would come at a tremendous cost, and so I said to him, "Yes and no. Um, yes, I would want to know because I want to know the truth. I don't want to. I don't want to follow a lie. But no, because it would cost everything."
1: Last time we talked to you, we mentioned your family, and we've been praying for your family, and do pray that someday they will come to faith and and uh, find the peace that you have found in Christ. So these conversations that you had, they came at a cost, didn't they? Uh,
0: Absolutely. Uh, Everyone, when you assume a worldview, there's much at stake, and that's such a tragic thing about most people. Uh, They just haven't ever realized how much is at stake, even though they they have chosen a worldview. But uh, in the case of Islam specifically, you have uh, an identity that was formed uh, in reaction to Christianity. Um, you read the Quran, and there's definite responses to Christianity within the Quran. There's a response to the Trinity in chapter 5, there's a response to Jesus' deity, etc. Um, and so you can't just become a Christian out of Islam. Uh, you're, you're leaving your identity, and people see
1: that as betrayal. We'll continue this conversation with Nabil Qureshi and Evidence for the Resurrection coming up on First Person. This weekly program is produced in cooperation with the Far East Broadcasting Company. Together, we are committed to telling the stories of Christ at work in the nations of the world. FEBC broadcasts the gospel in nearly 50 of those countries, reaching people in over 100 languages, introducing them to God's love and discipling them through God's Word. To learn more about FEBC and its broadcasts, please visit FirstPersonInterview.com and click the banner FEBC. That's FirstPersonInterview.com. My guest on First Person this week is Nabil Qureshi. Nabil was with us just a month or so ago in the program, telling his story, which he tells in his book "Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus." Nabil is a apologist, part of the speaking team at Ravi Zacharias Ministries. And Nabil, it is Easter weekend. And so my reason for asking you to come back this week is to talk about the cross and to talk about the resurrection of Christ, specifically how you wrestled with those issues and, and how that truth eventually led you to the truth about Jesus. So let, let's first of all talk about the cross for just a moment. Um, what were some of the things that you, know, you, you wrestled with that really held you back?
0: Well, for one, um, something that was immediately apparent to me was uh, just the weight of this matter. Um if the resurrection happened that changes everything. Um I remember I was at Old Dominion University uh when we had a guest speaker coming in his name is Gary Habermas. And it uh, turned out he was a scholar of the historical Jesus, specifically the resurrection. I didn't know that at the time. My friend and just invited me to hear this Christian speaker. Um, and his point was this. If Jesus has risen from the dead, that changes everything. It changes what this life means. If you're an agnostic or if you're an atheist, and you find out people are rising from the dead, uh, that means there's more to this life than you could have ever realized. Um, it means that there's hope in the afterlife. That means you don't have to live this life for its own sake or for its own pleasure, but you can invest in the afterlife through this life. Um, Not only in a general sense does resurrection change things, but if Jesus rose from the dead, then that all of a sudden puts God's stamp of approval, or at least a supernatural stamp of approval, on Jesus. Uh, Or it says he is powerful in some certain way. Now, if Jesus is someone to reckon with and to wrestle with, um, then because of the resurrection, we have to look very carefully at what he said. The fact of the matter is, he claimed to be God. And so if you have a man claiming to be God rising from the dead, um, that's going to shake your worldview.
1: Yeah, indeed. It's been described, the resurrection has been described as the hinge of Christianity. You agree with that now, right?
0: Absolutely. It is the pivotal point. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is not risen, our faith is in vain, and we are of all people most to be pitied. Uh, The disciples didn't start preaching a message of salvation immediately. It wasn't, hey, do you want to be saved? Uh, How great would it be if you knew you were going to heaven? Uh, That was a component of the larger message, which was, this man, Jesus, has been appointed by God. Uh, he has been raised from the dead, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. In, in, throughout the book of Acts, whenever there are sermons, the, the message of the sermon is the resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection.
1: Powerful stuff. So as a Muslim, a devout Muslim, did you wrestle with the historical fact of Jesus and, and his death on the cross and resurrection?
0: Well, Islam says that Jesus didn't even die on the cross. And uh, I was just reading a quotation today from a Muslim imam. The, the power of sin is often so underplayed in Islam that they can't imagine why God can't just arbitrarily forgive people's sins. Um, the idea that God had to die for the sake of our sins uh, tells you how heavy sins are and how how uh, how devastating they are. Um, so, Muslims deny that. Muslims believe that you can overcome your sins by doing good deeds, essentially. If you do more good deeds than bad, you will go to heaven. Uh, whereas the Bible says uh, God died for our sins um, and then he rose from the dead. So, what is the evidence here? Um, since Islam denies Jesus' resurrection very specifically, Surah Al Nisa, chapter 4, the Quran, verse 157. Uh, Muslims will immediately um, preclude uh, any conclusion that Jesus rose from the dead because he never died in the first place. Okay, but well, uh, h- it, how did
1: you overcome that?
0: It was the, like I said, it's it's the historical evidence. So we turn to the Bible, and um, we have to first ask the question: Can the Bible be trusted, historically speaking? Now, oftentimes Christians come in guns blazing and say, "Yes, the whole Bible can be trusted, <laughs> every single letter." Uh, we have to recognize that that is a position of faith. Um, After you've concluded that there's good reason to believe in Jesus, then you have there's good reason to believe in the Bible, um, but that's contingent upon first believing in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, the idea that every single word of the Bible, every single book of the Bible is reliable, um, even the theological parts, the non-historical parts, that is a faith position.
1: Yeah, so you'd already covered that ground, hadn't you?
0: Um, I had to first look and see what the historical evidence was for the Bible, uh, specifically the Gospels. Could we trust what the Gospels say about Jesus? And uh, long story short, there's plenty of reasons to trust the historical reliability of the Gospel, at least in broad strokes, but even in details.
1: Mm -hmm. All the ancient manuscripts and all that, and you get into this a little bit more detail in your book. But, uh, But after we accept the Bible, then what?
0: After we accept the Bible uh, as a generally reliable source, specifically the Gospels, as a generally reliable source uh, for Jesus' life, then we turn and see what does it say about Jesus. We also compare that to extra-biblical evidence to see what it says about Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. So, for example, we have five extra-biblical sources from the early centuries after Christ which confirm that he died by crucifixion. And these are, when I say five extra-biblical, I'm specifically referring to five non-Christian extra-biblical sources, which say he died by crucifixion. Um, So you have biblical evidence in tandem with extra-biblical evidence saying he died on the cross. And then we take a look at both kinds of evidence again, and we investigate what happened after Jesus died. Uh, What were the circumstances surrounding his death, using biblical and extra-biblical evidence? And what convinced me that Jesus had risen from the dead was the hypothesis espoused by Gary Habermas and Mike Lacona, which is very simply this, and we can go into more details if you'd like, but the simple hypothesis is this. The evidence surrounding Jesus' death, extra-biblical and biblical, is best explained by his resurrection. Hmm. And not only best explained by the Resurrection, but by far best explained by the Resurrection.
1: Yeah, the empty tomb.
0: The empty tomb is one of four facts that uh, Mike Lacona and Gary Habermas present in their book, The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus, um, as facts that a vast majority of scholars accept, whether or not they are Christian. So, Gary Habermas is an amazing man. Since 1975, he has read... Um, doctoral work and, uh, and also journal articles from scholars, uh, whether Christian, agnostic, atheist, Buddhist, Hindu. Um, he has read all published works on this matter in journal articles and dissertations in English, German, and French. <laughs> uh, thousands of articles. And what he does is he catalogs what each scholar believes about various facts. And he noted that there are about 20 facts, a couple dozen facts, that pretty much everyone across the theological spectrum agrees with, whether atheist, agnostic, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Christian, doesn't matter. And then he took a look at those facts and he said, well, the reason why the scholars agree with them is because the evidence is so strong. And then he isolated just a few of those facts. And he said, these facts are best explained by the resurrection. Uh, One of them you've mentioned already, the empty tomb. Another one was the fact that Jesus died by crucifixion. Virtually every scholar who studies this matter agrees Jesus died by crucifixion. Again, Mm -hmm. the extra-biblical evidence plays a large role in that. Fact number three, that the disciples of Jesus truly believed he had risen from the dead.
1: Yeah, they they spent the rest of their lives uh, putting their lives on the line for that fact.
0: Exactly. These are men who had ran away from Jesus when he was getting arrested, uh, which shows an element of cowardice. And yet, something happened, and all of a sudden, they truly believe he had risen from the dead, and they're willing to die for it. Now, someone could immediately say, "Nabil, just because someone believes Jesus had risen from the dead, it doesn't mean he did. That's true. We haven't gotten to that conclusion yet. But the conclusion we're reaching now is they honestly believed Jesus had risen from the dead. (laughs) And fact number four is that not just the disciples, but a few enemies <laughs> yeah, of Jesus, yeah. non-Christians.
1: And many eyewitnesses.
0: Many eyewitnesses. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us 500 at once. But specifically, you have a man named Paul, Saul of Tarsus I, who has no desire to see the risen Jesus. He never followed Jesus during his life. And yet, even he is willing to die for the claim that Jesus rose from the dead. Same thing with James, uh, a man who did not follow Jesus during his life, but after the resurrection, and we see a message in 1 Corinthians 15 again that James saw the risen Jesus. After that, he is willing to say that Jesus died uh, and rose. So you take these four facts, that Jesus died on the cross, that the tomb was empty, that disciples truly believed he had risen from the dead, and that enemies of Jesus truly believed he had risen from the dead. And there's no hypothesis that can explain and fit these four facts hmm. well apart from the resurrection.
1: Amazing. Wow. Nabil, this is all not just a story, not just facts and historical facts, but it's something very real to believers. And if there's someone listening today who hasn't crossed that threshold that you crossed, help them understand what Christ means to them.
0: If Jesus has risen from the dead and he is the author of life, then there is nothing that's going on in your life right now that he cannot conquer. There's no possible way that you can feel hopeless when the God of this universe can defeat death. You have someone to turn to. You have someone who loves you and cares for you. Yes, you listen to the words of Jesus, which we can trust because he had risen from the dead. And his words are that you are loved from the beginning of time, that you were created with a purpose. And that means no matter what you've done, God knew you were going to do it, and he loved you anyway. And so you can turn to God as your creator, who loves you, who provides hope for you, who can give you an answer and a solution out of any situation. And that God is worth following. You put your life in his hands, and nothing will ever be able to defeat you.
1: Jesus Christ willingly gave his life as a ransom for many. He ransomed you and me from spiritual death. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You can read more about the faith journey of today's guest, Nabil Qureshi, in his book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And as I said earlier, our interview telling his story in more detail aired just a few weeks ago, and you'll find it at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Our thanks to the Far East Broadcasting Company for their support of these first-person conversations. More information about FEBC's radio ministry in nearly 50 countries of the world can be found through a link at firstpersoninterview.com. Well, happy Easter to all of you as we celebrate the resurrection. And now with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to First Person